Uh, I'm going to be reading our scripture today. We are in our Advent series, and um, we've obviously been lighting the candles in honor of this series, and it's been just a really great morning. I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. And so if you do not have a Bible, we have a blue one under the seat in front of you. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1, as we have been uh, for this whole series. And you can find that in page 981 in those blue Bibles. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13 this morning. And here at Flourishing Grace, we honor this word of God, we revere it, and so in reverence of it, would you stand uh, if you are able as we read this morning? Again, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, this is what it says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Man, thank you, John. Good morning again, Flourishing Grace. Uh, yesterday and Friday, uh, we had an opportunity to serve at Backman Elementary School over in Rose Park. Many of you guys uh, were there and got to participate in that. Um, and I just kind of wanted to give you guys an update. Uh, many of you kind of donated toys, resources, money uh, for families at Backman who are honestly, genuinely kind of come to the place where they, they, they cannot put toys underneath their tree this year. And so we work with the teachers there at Backman and say, and who are those families? Could, could we identify them and could we provide those toys for them? Um, yesterday we got to serve 177 kids uh, came through at Backman Elementary. And so thank you guys, honestly. Genuinely, it's something that started years ago. We started doing this, we started at Foxborough Elementary, which is a few families. It was just, I think like, I don't know, five, six families. Um, and it's, it's turned into this big thing where now, um, and Discover Card had some volunteers there. And uh, what was the other organization? There's another. Lucid had like, have their employees showing up. And Tony Finau and his organization have gotten involved in it. And it's like, it's snowballed into this huge thing. And we just, we're just blessed to be able to be a part of it. Uh, it just started off as a small crew of people saying, hey, let's, let's extend the light of Jesus into the world. Um, and it's, it's now everybody's like, man, I want to be a part of that. Um, and that's how the light of Jesus works, right? I mean, when, when we let the light of Christ shine through our good works, the rest of the world's like, man, that's attractive. I, I want to be a part of that. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you um, who have been faithful to that and who have leaned into that over the years. Uh, we are... We are going to continue in this series, as John said, uh, in, in Advent, we've been walking through John chapter 1, and we've been doing this really, really slowly, right? And there's, there's a point to that, right? To slow down in this season of Advent and to take our time to slow down and remind ourselves that, man, Jesus has come for us, and listen, he's coming again. The world waited for thousands of years for him to show up, 
and we've waited for thousands more, but he is coming again. He is going to return to us. I want you to imagine for a moment that you have the opportunity to kind of step into the room with somebody that you've always wanted to meet. I don't know who your hero is. It can be, it can be as ridiculous as you want it to be. I just want you to picture that person in, the mind, in your mind. Maybe it's some movie star, actor, actress. Maybe it's some uh, famous musician or famous athlete. Like you, you are in the room with them, and you're so busy doing something else that you don't realize that they've stepped into the same room as you. Uh, there's this thing that Jimmy Fallon does on The Tonight Show. I don't watch The Tonight Show, but if I did, I love this. You can find it on YouTube. That's how I see it. Somebody sent it to me on YouTube. Um, but Jimmy Fallon, he gets these famous musicians. He's done it with uh, Maroon 5 and U2 and Alanis Morissette and Miley Cyrus. He's, and he, what he does is he, he puts them in, like, in, in costumes. So they put on like a beard or a mustache and sunglasses, and they sneak down into to the New York City subway, um, and, and they busk. They play songs for money. And so Jimmy Fallon goes down with them. He's got like a mustache on and sunglasses. And, and they're, so they're incognito down in the subway busking for money. And all these New Yorkers are like walking past oblivious to the reality that like Bono is like right there singing his songs. And they're like, and, and you can tell by the look, like they've got cameras all hidden throughout. And you can tell by the looks of people, they're like, that sounds like, nope, not Bono. And they just keep on walking. And that sounds like, no, nope, that's not Alanis Morissette. And they just keep on, they keep on going. They're busy. They got, they got places to go, things to do. They're New Yorkers, right? They're just on the move. Or maybe they're tourists in New York. And they've just gotten busy. They got things that they want to see, things that they want to do. And the whole time, these amazing like rock stars of our day are right there. Like right there, right in front of them. And I believe that here in this text, John is giving to us, in these first three verses of our text anyways, one of the most tragic realities. Here's what John says in, in these verses. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to his own people, and they did not receive him. The real, the genuine source of all joy was in the room. Satisfaction, everlasting fulfillment was right there, standing in their midst. The artist steps into the painting. The one who created the world and everything in it steps into his creation. His creation is like, who are you? Well, who are you again? His own people, right? He's talking about the, the Israelite people, the Jewish people. He steps, he comes right into his prized possession. These people that he has engaged with for thousands of years, and they're like, you're not the one. I don't recognize you. The glorious one has walked into the room, and no one sees his glory. Why? Why, why don't we see it? Why can't we see it? Throughout Jesus' ministry, again and again and again, he, he begins and ends teachings with these words, and they're very familiar words. You've heard them before. He says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. Again and again and again, Jesus uses his language. He says, there's certain people in this room who are going to be able to see this, but it's not most of you. Certain people are going to be able to hear this, but not everyone. You see, the problem is not the darkness. 
Often we talk about this idea that, men we're so blinded, we kind of wander about in the darkness, we can't see. But, that's, but John's made it very clear, the light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness can't overcome Christ. Christ conquers the darkness. The problem is not the darkness of this world. The problem is not the sin of this world. Christ has conquered that. He's more powerful than that. He's more glorious than that. The problem is our blindness, our inability to see, is what's robbing us from being able to see Jesus. And what has robbed so many of, of being able to see his glory and his beauty and his majesty and his worth. The light is shining and we're still not seeing. We're still not receiving. One of the most terrifying things that I can kind of imagine in my mind is being born blind. That sounds terrifying to me. I've had a number of friends who were born with uh, ailments and conditions that are absolutely terrible and horrible, but far more than any of them that I can think of would be being born blind. And the reason why, to me, that's so terrifying is because I wasn't born blind. I was born with the ability to see. I've seen things. I've seen um, like the full 365-degree sunsets in autumn. You know what I'm talking about? Like where the sun is like bouncing off the mountains and then it's setting over there and it's like all the clouds of the whole sky are like orange and pink and purple. Like I've seen that. I've seen the, the stars underneath the new moon of a, in the desert sky. I've, I've seen that. I could stare at that for hours and hours. I have stared at it for hours. It's amazing. I've looked into the eyes of the woman that I love more than anything in the world. I've seen my kids take their first steps and uh, play, play little, little league baseball and, and games. I've seen them delight and joy. I've seen it on their face. And so to me, the most terrifying thing I can think of is, is never seeing those things. Like that would be unbelievably awful to me, to never have been able to see any of those things. It'd be far worse to be born blind than it would be to actually become blind, in my opinion, but only because I've actually seen things. For so many people, they live their whole lives never seeing the fullness of his glory and his majesty and his might, his beauty and his worth. And yet God has gone to great lengths to enable us, to enable you to see him, to see his love for you, his joy towards you, his affection for you. The infinitely magnificent one wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. Living blind to that is far more terrible than being born blind. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want, I want us to lean in. I want us to ask really kind of two questions. Man, uh, I want us to say, man, what makes us blind? What makes us blind? And what happens when we see? What will happen when we see? What makes us blind? And what happens when we see? Give us Ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Does it make sense? You guys ready to lean into that? Here's what I want to do. I want to pray real quick. Um, it's just been one of those weeks, one of those weekends. Um, and this text is actually kind of, it's just kind of complicated. And I want to, I want to do it some justice. Um, I believe that God longs for his creation to see him. He longs for you this morning to see him. And so I'm just going to pray to that end. So let's pray. Father, you have 
you've gone to unbelievable lengths to give us eyes to see. And so this morning, would you, would you peel back the scales? Would you remove the blinders? Would you help us to see you? Would you help us to be a people who, who see the ultimate glory and beauty and majesty of your son and receive him and accept him and all of the implications that come with that? Would you open our eyes to that this morning? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First, church, what makes us blind? What, what makes us blind? I'm going to give you two things. There's probably more than two things, but just kind of two things as we kind of look at kind of the, at the advent of Jesus um, in his life. What made the Israelites blind? What made his own people blind? Why did they not receive him? I'm going to give you two things this morning. First is this. Our expectations are blocking the light. Our expectations, the, the things that we think it should be like, are blocking the light. So many in Jesus' day simply did not recognize him because they had an image of the Messiah, God's promised Savior King, this Messiah, the one who's going to come and conquer, this image in their mind that did not fit the mold of Jesus. Their expectations were blinding them from being able to see him, right? Um, In the same way, as people walk through the New York City subway, they hear hey, that sounds like Bono. And they look over, nope, that's, that's not Bono. I have an expectation of what Bono should look like. I, have a, I know what Atlantis Morissette looks like. Here's a, little, here's a little claim to fame, if you will, a little lesser known fact. I've played apples to apples with Atlantis Morissette, and I beat her, okay? That's actually a true story. Um, I played apples to apples with her, and I, and I smoked her at it, okay? I know what she looks like. And if I were to be walking through that New York City subway that day, and I would have heard her voice, I would have looked over and said, that's not her. I have an expectation in my mind of what she looks like because I've met her, I've hung out with her, and that's not what she looks like. And I would have just kept on walking. I just kept on walking because my expectations would have blinded me from being able to see her. In the same way, in Jesus' day, people had expectations of what the Messiah looked like. What, what he was going to be like when he came. Every little Jewish boy and every little Jewish girl were, to, were told stories from the day they were born of the coming king who is going to who's going to press back the powers of darkness and who's going to raise up a nation, the nation of Israel, who are, going to, who are going to conquer the known world. And this is what it's going to be like when he comes and rules and reigns as king. That's not what Jesus looked like at all. There's a story, a well-known story in Mark 6, where Jesus comes to to proclaim uh, the good news in his hometown. And and many of you know this story, but I want you to listen to the language and hear exactly how Mark records this. It's fascinating. Here's how it says, Mark 6, verse 1. He, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. Now listen, many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Where does this come from? Like, how can anyone speak the way he speaks? How can anybody have the wisdom that he has? How can anybody do these mighty works that he does by his hands, these these healings? How How can anybody do that? This is astonishing. This is amazing. Is that the voice of Bono? Is that, is this, could this be the Messiah? But now look. And they said this. 
Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his, and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Right? They, they, they hear him. They say, oh my goodness, this is, this is unreal. But then they look and they say, no, no, no. That's not what the Messiah looks like. He's, he's saying the things that the Messiah should say. He's doing the things that the Messiah should do. But then they look at him like, no, I mean, no we know that kid. That's not him. There's no way that's him. And so they take offense. You're posing, you're pretending, you're, you're acting like the Messiah, but we know you. Like, we know your mom. Like, we know your sisters are sitting right here. Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you acting like this? It's not who you are. Another story is the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000, and the people rise up, and they say, this is him. This is the Messiah. Like, only the Messiah can do this. Like, this is, a, this is the greatest miracle of all time. And so they try to grab him and make him king. And Jesus, kind of the, the reversal of this, Jesus re- rejects that idea of the Messiah. So, so in Mark 6, they reject Jesus. But the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not the plan. That's not what the Messiah looks like. The version of the Messiah in your head is not it. And so he slips away, and he goes up on the mountain to be alone and just to pray. He says, that's not, I'm not going to fit your mold. I'm not going to step into this, this picture that you have for me. That's not what it's going to look like. In the advent of Jesus, from the very beginning, Jesus says, I'm not going to fit the mold. God, the glorious one, comes in the flesh, and he's born in a barn, laid in a feeding trough. None of this fits the mold of what the people thought the Messiah was going to be like. None of this fits the expectations of the people. Expectations were set, and standards and demands were made. This is what you must look like. This is what it's going to be like. I know who Jesus is because he's going to do this. But he didn't do that. He didn't act like that. He didn't become the things that people thought he was going to become. Or at least not in the way that they thought he was going to become those things. And so I wonder for us this morning, what expectations do we have of Jesus? What things might we have laid on him that are actually causing us to not be able to see him? What things do we think Jesus is going to do that if he doesn't do it, we're going to reject him as he was rejected? What are the things that you think Jesus is going to do for you? What are the expectations you've laid on him? Does Jesus look like you? Does he value the things that you value? Does he vote the way you vote? Is Jesus a Democrat? Does he care for the poor, the marginalized, the immigrant? Or is he a Republican, caring for the unborn, sanctity of life, marriage? Does he vote like you? Does he value what you value? Does he look like you? If he came and he lived among us, would you recognize him? Friends, here's what I want to do. For those of us who would say, I love Jesus more than I love anything in the world. 
The reality is we have to be careful. We have to say, I might be a little blind. I might have some expectations that I've laid on him. I might have some things that I've demanded of him. Like maybe I know Jesus loves me, and so he's going he's to heal my sick kid. He's going he's to provide for my family. He's going to give me this job. He's going to bring me joy in the things of this world. Right? We've had these things that we've laid on him. He's like, but what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't come through the way you think he's going to come through? Will you still follow him? Will you still bow before him as king? Here's what I want to do real, real quick, then we'll move on. For those of us in the room who would say, man, I love Jesus more than I love anything in the world. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture him. Just humor me for a minute. Just close your eyes and just picture Christ. How you see him. And I want to read to you from the, a prophecy from Isaiah 53. It says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up among them like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. That's our king. That's our savior. Do you love him for who he is? Or do you love him for the image that you've created in your mind of what you want him to be and what you want him to do for you? Friends, we must, if you're going to see him, we must love him for who he is. Regardless of what he does for you or doesn't do for you, regardless of what expectations he fulfills or does not fulfill for you, we love him for who he is. Second thing that causes us to be blind is our love for the world. The love for the world blocks the true light. Here's how John puts it. He says, the true light, which means there's false lights, okay? But the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It's coming Jesus, the true light, is coming, but so many of us have packed our lives with false lights, things that promise light, but ultimately all they do is block our eyes from the light, the true light. Our careers, our possessions, our goals, our desires, even our good things like families and friends can be these things that because they've attached themselves to our hearts, because we've loved them more than we love him, block us from being able to see him. Lesser lights, false lights stop us from seeing the true light. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, sorry. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, listen to this. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If the light in you is darkness, this is what I'm trying to get you to see all the time. 
that we can see these things and value these things and say, this is going to provide joy. This is going to give me meaning. This is going to give significance and happiness. This is going to fulfill me. Like, these are the lesser lights. If I can just get to this place in my career, then I'll be satisfied. And we give our, and we focus in on it. And we can see nothing else because all these lesser lights are, are blinding us from the one true light. The one source of all satisfaction and joy. We said it a few weeks ago. Jesus is the source of all light and life. And everybody in the room is like, amen to that. But if it's true, if that's actually true, then nothing else can be. If Jesus is the source of all light and life, then nothing else can be. And so as we pursue all of these lesser lights and believe on them for our satisfaction, for our joy, for our salvation, for for our meaning and purpose and significance, we become blinded to the one actual true source of light in life, Jesus. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, our problem is not that we lack the light. It shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. And the problem is not that we lack the light, but that we love the dark. This is the hardness of our hearts. You see, love for the dark is a terrifyingly blinding thing. Our love for the dark is a terrifyingly blinding thing. Here's what's terrifying. You see, Jesus came to his own. His own people. His prized possession, the Israelite people. And they didn't didn't receive him. They rejected him. You see, they had these lesser lights things that they loved more than they loved him. And Jesus says, I'm worth more than that. And if you want to come after me, you've got to put all of that to death. And instead, they put him to death. They killed him. They despised him and they rejected him because he said, man, you've got to die to all of these other things. And we, we cling to these lesser loves, these lesser, there are certain things in our lives that we cling to with a white knuckle grip. We say, I will not let go of these things. This is mine. You can have all of these things, but this thing right here, this one, this is mine. And we'd rather destroy the true light than release our grasp on this lesser light. What is it for you? We were singing earlier, we were singing that, and I'll trust you, Jesus, I'll trust you, Jesus, I'll trust you with my life. What is the thing in your life that you struggle the most to trust him with? To release your grasp and lay it before him and say, this is yours. I will not let anything in my life distract me from you, blind me from you. I will not follow any lesser light. I will follow you and you alone. What is blocking you from seeing the true Light. Now, before we move on, real quick, a question that I think a lot of people might have. This is kind of a side note. Um, I, I kind of got to the point in, in this, as I was working on this, where I thought, you know, why not? Why? Why not just like roll in? Like, why come incognito? Why a baby in a manger? Like, why not just like ride a lightning bolt like into, you know, with a crown and you know, a legion of angels and be like, what up? Here I am. Like, it would have been so much easier, right? I mean, like, everybody would have been like, that's the king. Like, I, I, I know a Messiah when I see one. That's the one right there. Like, right, lighting, riding a lightning bolt, for sure the Messiah. I will bow before that one. All right, why not just do that? That would have been, that would have been cool. Um, I think there's a number of reasons. Um, 
I think that Jesus had to come gentle and lowly. I think that he had to come in this particular way. If you remember, in the Old Testament, God came as a pillar of fire by day, or a pillar of fire by night and smoke by day, right? He came in, in thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai, and so the people's hearts were hardened against him. He's revealed his glory again and again and again, and people have rejected him. Jesus comes in this way to do a greater work in our hearts. He comes in this particular way for a particular reason. I think it's revealed in um, Luke 5 that the, the Pharisees see Jesus dining with sinners and tax collectors, right? He's, he's with Matthew, the Levite, and they see him with all of Matthew's friends. Um, and it, it reads this way in, in Luke 5. The Pharisees um, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus hears this, and he answered them. To those who, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Why, why, do, you, why do you go in this way? Why would you sit with those people? Why, why not come hang out with us, those who are important, those who are special, like, Come, come be with us. Why are you being with, why are we with them? Let me see if I can make sense of this. How, how many of you in this room have met the President of the United States? Nobody. Okay. Yes. One. Which president? What's that? Biden. You met President Biden. Ask President. All right. Oh, before President. Before he was President. So technically... Just kidding. That's awesome. How many of you guys have ever met the Queen of England? Nobody. Anybody ever met, like, a real king of any monarchy? One, two, a few kings of monarchies, okay. How many of you guys have ever met your neighbor? Oh, like all of you. Any, anybody ever go to the hospital and visit somebody when they're sick? Anybody been to a hospital and visited somebody? Okay, all of you. Any of you guys ever met a homeless person? Like, talk, okay, wow, gosh, I mean, all of you. You see, Jesus comes to be with you. And while maybe a few of us have been in the room with a president or a king or a queen, we've all been in the room with our neighbor, with those who are in need, those who are lowly. Jesus comes gentle and lowly to save the gentle and lowly. He comes like you to be with you. He enters the house of sinners and tax collectors and drunkards because that's who he wants to save. He's come to be with us. Jesus came to grant you access to himself. He came to meet with you, not to meet your demands or your expectations, but to meet you. He came to invite the commoner, not the king, to become a child of God. If Jesus comes in riding in on a lightning bolt, you don't have access to that. You're not getting close to that. Moses was the only guy that could even get close to that, and even he, even he couldn't get that close. Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to come and have access to me, to be present with me. He comes the way that he comes so that you might receive him. And this is what leads us to the second half of our text, and I promise we're more than halfway through the sermon, all right? Don't freak out. 
But here's the second half of the text. He says this. John says this in John 1, 12. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Right? This is not a human birth, but of God. What happens if we see like, what happens if, if the blinders are removed and we actually see Jesus for who he is? We are given the right to become children of God. And inevitably, on, in the subway station, people hear the voice of Bono and they look over and say, that doesn't look like Bono, but there's something shifty. There's something going on here. The edge is not fully disguised. Like, there's something going on here. I, I recognize something here. And they go and they lean in a little bit closer and they look and they say, oh my goodness, that actually is Bono. They actually stand and they have this, they're invited into this private little concert, just them and like the four other people that are like, I see what's going on here. They get to experience this, this intimacy, this nearness. And for those who see Jesus, who receive him and believe in his name, they're granted ultimate intimacy. They're granted the ability to become sons of God, to be adopted into his family, to be adopted as his sons and his daughters. God longs to call you sons and daughters. He has gone to great lengths to call you sons and daughters. He has pursued you to unbelievable ends to call you sons and daughters. Jesus does not hoard this sonship for himself. He says, no, 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 I want you to, to share in my glory. And so he gives his life for you to become sons and daughters. When we see him, when we receive him, when we believe in him, we are given the right to become children of God, John says. To become children of God. What does it mean to become children of God. I think this is really, 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 really important language for us. The idea of becoming children of God. It's a major theme in the New Testament. We see it in nearly every single epistle, this idea of adoption, this idea of becoming sons and daughters, right? Paul says in Romans, he says, man, all of creation is waiting and groaning with this great expectancy of like what it's going to be like the day that the sons and daughters of God are revealed in the fullness of their glory. Like all creation is like, man, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that moment when we are revealed. The full glory is revealed. It's been given to us in God. It's all over. But John says we become children of God. We become children of God. Now, I, I know for many of you, they're like, like, yeah, I, I, can, I can read. That's what it says. But this is really important. If I become a father, if, if my wife gives birth to a son, our first son, was I a father before that? It's not a trick question, I promise. Was I a father before that? No, no if, I, if, I, if I become a pastor, right? I, I, was, I was working, uh, doing whatever, um, and, and now I've changed careers, I've become a pastor. Was I a pastor before that? No. I've become a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Was I a child of God before that? Oh, suddenly we're hesitant. A little hesitancy there, I feel. The answer's simple. No. And it's a really important answer. It's a really, really important answer. 
In fact, in Ephesians, Paul says, man, we are children of wrath. By nature, we are children of wrath. At first, John, John says it even harsher. He says, you're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan, okay? That's, that's harsh, okay? That's what he says. He says, you're not always, we were not always children of God. We're not all children of God. And for those of us who are, we were not always children of God. There's this popular kind of idea in our culture right now that and we're, we are all children of God. And that sounds good. It rolls off the tongue. It makes everybody feel super happy and super like, yes, we're all children of God. We're all God's children. But that's not true. To believe that, to say that, to, to act like we've always been God's children, we always will be God's children, is to diminish the work of Jesus. What John is saying right here in John 1 is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us for this reason, to this end, so that you might be adopted into the kingdom of God, that you might become his children, his sons and his daughters. And so to say, well, that, no, we've always been that, is to say, well, then Jesus didn't really need to come. What work did he accomplish? It's to diminish the work of Christ in his birth, in his death, in his resurrection. God has gone to great lengths to form us, to shape us, to mold us into children of God. There's an invitation that has been extended to you, an invitation to become a child of God. Jesus came to make that invitation possible, to lay it on the table for you, to offer up his own righteousness to you. Jesus goes to the cross and he bleeds the ground red to cover you in his blood so that you might be spotless as he is spotless, that you might be washed white as wool, pure as snow, so that when the God of all things looks at you, he sees the purity of his only son, that you might be adopted into his kingdom as sons and daughters. I said at the beginning, I said earlier that man, one of the most terrifying things I can ever think of is being born blind. I, I, I stand by that. But one of the most amazing things I could ever think of is having a wretched and terrible and horrible, deplorable father. And the most perfect one says, I'll take you in. And this is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We are by nature children of wrath. That sounds like a pretty bad dad. Just, just saying. I don't want to be his son. We were once children of Satan. I don't want to be his son. And the God of all things says, no, I'm going to make a way for you to be brought in so that you might be mine. God wants you to be his own child. He wants you to identify as sons and daughters of God. This is the true sense of Advent. This is what people are longing for and waiting for. All of creation is waiting for the second advent where we will be revealed as sons and daughters of the Most High God. But God wants you to live into that right now. It's why he has sent his only son, to make a way for you to be adopted in. He wants you to live into this truth and this reality right now. There's an invitation on the table. It's been extended to you. An invitation to become a child of God and Jesus came to make that possible. Do you see him? Do you see him? Do you receive him as he is? Not as you want him to be or as you expect him to be. Do you receive him as he is? 
as more valuable than all other things. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now listen to this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God opens the eyes of our hearts so that we might see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. And then Jesus takes that same glory, that same beauty, that same wonder, and he lays it on you so that you might be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And 1 John 5.1 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. How do we get access to this? How, how do we do this? John makes it super clear. We just believe on him. We say Jesus is the king. He's the king of the world. He's given everything for me. I believe that the one who came, the baby in the manger, was the savior of the world. And I, I banked my whole life on that. And for everyone who does, you're granted access to become children of God. And friends, I want you to hear this morning, God wants you to be adopted, to become his own, to know him as father, to identify as sons and daughters, to be loved with, the, with infinite love. And you can have that. You can have it right now through Christ and Christ alone. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, this morning we come before you and I pray right now that you would melt away the lesser lights in our heart. That you'd pull back the blinders, that you would reveal your glory and your kindness and your mercy to us. The gospel is far bigger than simply Believe, be good, and one day die and go to heaven. It's so much more than that. You've revealed your glory to us. You've opened our eyes, the eyes of our heart, that we might see you and know you, that we might be drawn to you, be wooed by your love, be wooed by your kindness, to be adopted in by a perfect father, perfectly loved, infinitely loved, cared for, possessed, have a sense of belonging and purpose, be fulfilled in you in every way. I pray this morning that you would give your church ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would receive you, we would trust you with our whole life, that we'd be adopted in, sharing in your glory. I pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen, friends. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's sing one last song declaring this to each other.